This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform, and I am sitting here with April Blackford. April, if you want to say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. So April was explaining to her to me how you know she's so gangster that she can do client assessments with a crayon. Um, and so so that that's a little bit how we get down here at Eat to Perform. Um but I have to admit to that. I mean, like, like right now, actually, if you can't see it, I have a, a funny little uh, pen that has some kind of thing on it. And I have no idea how that came about. But, you know, when you're just looking for something to write with, you just pick up the easiest thing, right? Um, so how are things going for you? Uh, it's been so long since we've, we've done a podcast because we had two weeks that we didn't do them. I know. It seems like it's been forever. Um, things are going good. A lot of um, road challenges at the gym. A lot of people are enjoying my training log and the group coaching, getting some, some ideas on some gruesome workouts. But I wouldn't like to say that um, some of the bros have decided that they wanted to start a YouTube channel and go around and challenge random people at the gym to different things, see if they can beat them. <laughs> So we attempted to start that today, and I did beat two guys today, two guys, I'd like to say, not women. Uh, one was who could do the um, 50 push-ups, who could finish that the quickest, and I beat that. And then also we did uh, a 45-pound play press 50 times, who could do that the fastest. Again, I beat them. If, if they knew what I knew, when I went to Colorado and then challenged your cardio, and all of a sudden I saw that 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 six-year-old, I'm going to destroy this boy on the playground mode. I was like, oh, snap. We do not want any piece of that. So one of the fun things that kind of went down this weekend, so um, my daughters and I, we were talking, and my daughter's dating this, this guy, and his big hobby is skateboarding. And uh, I was commenting on the fact that I kind of like watching skateboarding, but it's really dumb, the names, and they don't make any sense. Like, if you're a regular person, you're like, oh, it's a 360 McTwisty, right? So we started thinking that skateboarding would be a lot better to the casual viewer if it had, like, normal names. Like, let me give you an example of, of one of the things that we came up with. Um, oh, my God. He just landed... Uh, Olive Garden breadstick followed by a Caitlyn Jenner. I've never seen that done in competition. I think that kind of thing would be a lot better for the sport of skateboarding. Just putting that out there, skateboarding. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't know what a McTwisty is. Jesus Flip, we didn't see that one. That, that one actually, that was pretty good. I like that. Um, but the, yeah, it just kind of reminded me of your whole YouTube channel thing. You know, everyone thinks to themselves, you know, that they'll start a YouTube channel and then there's there's like six views and three of them were to them, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And you make like two pennies. <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, unfortunately, we cannot see April in the podcast. You're unfortunately going to only see me. Um, just because they, 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 were prob they probably just wanted to see me, you know, just you all, know, all up in, all up in that tank top, you know, so, <laughs> so be, 
beat all the bros at the gym. Um, also, we did add a new addition to the Blackford family, um, a new dog, and it is a miniature Dotson. So we officially have a wiener dog. Sweet. I always, and, I've always wanted a wiener dog. Oh, but, oh, she's awesome. She, she's quite feisty. She's very feisty, but it's a little bit of adjustment for me because she's six months old and she's only seven pounds. So that's the biggest that she's going to get. Um, so never had a, a teeny dog. Gotcha. Yeah. Our dog, um, that was the other big revelation. We think that dogs should not be, they should be named based on their demeanor rather than their breed. You know what I mean? So like my dog would be named Rottweiler, even though she looks like a teddy bear. Right. Um, I mean, I can't tell you walking through the neighborhood, how many kids are like trying to pet my dog. And I'm like, do not do that. She will bite you, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know who hurt her in her past life, but man, something really bad happened. <laughs> um, did you adopt your dog? No, we had actually, we had gotten it from someone that it was, it's Tommy's dog. So he begged and pleaded. We were going to get another schnauzer, but you know, we decided the, of course, you know me, the, 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 the deal is right. So yeah, you're all about that bargain. Did you get a coupon for that dachshund? I got a deal. I definitely got a deal, but but she's she's a sweetie, and her and the I was a little leery of the schnauzer because I have a male schnauzer and how they how they would get along, but they're like all they do is fight all day, fight and play. So, so one of the the things I wanted to talk about that I thought was sort of interesting, um, I had a friend of mine who was someone that was over five hundred pounds, and I knew him through the powerlifting world. And one of the stories that, that I think is, is something that I always try to remember with, with clients that have a good amount of fat to use. It's sort of interesting because I think that a lot of people view, you know, what we do or what other companies do. And then they, they try to see the similarities when in fact there's big differences you know, most of the people that are attracted to eat the form are attracted to it from the standpoint of, I mean, don't get me wrong, we've got a lot of people that have abs, right? But I think a lot of people really are attracted to eat the form from the standpoint of having a healthy relationship with food and ultimately just kind of living their life and, and enjoying that life. And so if that means that they would be 13% compared to you know, 9%, that's okay. And I think that there's a lot of people that even actually aspire to just getting to kind of a, a regular level. And that's a little bit of um, what I was talking to about with my friend. But what he was telling me, and is something that I remember every single time I talk to clients that um, have a considerable amount of weight to, to lose, because you know, one, the one thing that I try to do right off the bat is just start, sort of break it into goals, you know, because if you start thinking to yourself, man, I got 300 pounds to lose, you're screwed right off the bat, right? Um, but he said something to me interesting, and he actually 
wrote one of the the best things I've ever seen related to um, people with you know a large amount of fat to use. What he suggested, and what I've known to be true, is people will often look at a person in his situation and think they don't care and that they've never dieted before and that they've never tried anything that they've just kind of let themselves go and and you know there's no discipline in place but he was talking about a level of of brain activity where he would accumulate food food that he wouldn't even eat just from the standpoint of fear related to not having access to food right and I, the reason why i bring up that story is because i think that a lot of us look at our situation and try to you know compare that to something else or look at somebody else who's seeing success and then they're not seeing success and then don't realize that they actually do have most things figured out right their level of confusion is is fine what sort of made me think of this was I can't remember his name, but I think it's like Rulon, um, but he was on the, the Biggest Loser um, one year, and he was the Olympic weightlifter. And we had a client, you know, like I said, somebody with, you know, considerable amount of weight to lose. Um, and he had kind of a day where things got out of control, and he was sort of frustrated by it, and and you know, everyone was talking to him just from the standpoint of putting them, putting themselves in his situation and imagining how brave it would be to talk about what he was talking about, you know, and to spill his guts the way that he was doing it. And then I said to him something that was interesting. I was like, we all have those moments, but what we all don't think is the extremes that you're thinking of, right? And to a certain extent, for you know, clients that are trying to lose a fair amount of weight, the tendency for most people is to go to like these really super extreme options. And what I said to him at that time, and I mentioned to the whole group was that he was hungry right whether mentally or physically he was hungry and he ate maybe the choice wasn't the most phenomenal but tomorrow brings another opportunity I talked a little bit about this in the addiction one that I did a few weeks back that a lot of people really liked and when we talk about food addictions and we talk about sex addiction and drug addiction or whatever, the common theme is some level of give it up completely. Go cold turkey, right? That's where 
some level of recovery will come. I believe kind of the opposite of that. Now, I'm, I will openly tell you that I'm a bit of a contradiction, but once I explain it, then it'll sort of make sense. I have not used drugs or alcohol in almost 30 years. Um, but I don't consider the fact that I've abstained from drugs and alcohol the reason why I've been able to experience some level of recovery related to it. The reason why is because I built this life. I built a life of love and caring and, and really walked that process out. And so as I've talked to him, you know, and what's awesome about it, you know, is, you know, I, I think there's always nice when you're going through these big life changes to have someone from a psychological level to be able to talk to. And I mentioned that to him, that that would be, you know, I'm kind of a helpful person as it relates to kind of the food piece. But there aren't many people in my position that would say it's okay to eat more than 4,000 calories on a day, right? Um, because I don't think that a good majority of people actually understand the physiology of how things work. You know, when you're a large human being, you know, there's a reason why you know, they're gravitating towards energy. And it's not just because they're um, dealing with some emotional hole that they're trying to fill up with, you know, little Debbie cakes, right? Um, sometimes it's actual energy, right? Their body requires, you know, when you think of what your body's trying to do, it's trying to stay roughly the same, right? It's trying to get to a place where that's completely norm well a completely norm for someone with a lot of fat to use is a lot of food and so when i think back to my friend who would buy food that he wouldn't even eat i believe that there is some level of abundance that needs to be in the picture i believe that you know you cannot allow yourself to feel like you'll never be able to eat a little Debbie cake ever, you know, um, which, like I said, probably sounds like a little bit of hypocrisy because I don't have wine, but I do actually think I could have wine. That's the interesting part. I just don't want wine. You know, I have a great life, you know, and I am aware of the slight amount of risk. And I just don't need that in my life, so I don't have it. But if one of your fears, let me, let me say it another way. A lot of intervention is based on the fact that if you don't get better, we will take our love away from you, right? So if you're someone with a lot of fat to use, and someone says to you, one of the things that makes you feel good, you know, you have to choose. And more often than not, they're going to choose the thing that provides them comfort right now rather than, 
oh my God, you have to lose 300 pounds or else, right? That's why I think with some level of, of you know, forgiveness, you know, as it relates to all of us. I mean, I just remember this guy on Biggest Loser in the middle of the night and him being shamed by all these trainers, you know, because he was hungry, you know? And, you know, they're trying to win this game show where he's, you know, eating really low amount of food, doing an extreme amount of exercise. And, you know, frankly, I mean, I don't even need to talk about the metabolic impact of all that stuff. One of the things that we try to do, especially with our athletes that, that are a little bit bigger, is certainly weight loss is going to be a piece of it, but we really focus them on... Once their weight's starting to come down, really start to kind of work on that movement piece, whatever that athlete can do. I mean, like if you're 600 pounds, as an example, and you want to walk for 15 minutes, the amount of pain on your feet and hips and lower back, you know, so there needs to be a thought process as it relates to that stuff, right? And metabolically those people burn a lot more calories than most of you and I they also have a fair amount of stored body fat um, that they can draw from which is interesting because a lot of them will talk about uh, you know I'm saying them you know I mean I've got like a bunch of people in mind that 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 we work with um, and I don't want to like you know, kind of put it off like you know I'm talking about a pen you know we're talking about human beings but you know at the same time um, when you have a fair amount of fat to use you know these men and women can tap that a lot of the times at a very low calorie point and not feel uncomfortable the problem comes though is when you try to consistently do that over and over again. And so I believe that some level of up and down, you know, really makes a difference. And that's one of the ways that we've been able to get a lot of people real good results. Um, but I thought that the, the fear of food being gone, right? That's something I've never experienced. I don't know what that's like. I've never gone to Burger King and bought $30 worth of food and ate $5 worth. And then $25 gets thrown away just because I was scared that I wouldn't have accessible food. And I think that that is the kind of thing that a lot of people can't relate to. That when you hear it, you know, it maybe puts your situation in a little bit of, of a perspective, right? Um, and I know we've all got five to 10 fat, pounds of fat to use or whatever, right? But I really wanted to talk a little bit more about kind of the, the psychology of all of it. Any thoughts on what I'm saying, April? Um, I, I agree with what you were saying in regards to the, um, I, I strongly agree that there needs to be some, some days or, you know, plan days of where they eat more food and some level of abundance. Um, the biggest trends that I usually see is um, from the people that I directly work with is, you know, it's either 
the extreme of, you know, like what you said, you know, you go a little bit lower, you know, it feels okay. So it kind of becomes a habit, you know, and, yes. you know, that, and also, um, I see a lot of, you know, kind of similar to, to the guy that you were talking about. It's, I see a lot that they're, you know, ashamed to eat or, you know, they're already larger and they're ashamed to eat a normal amount of food in front of other people, you know, because they feel like people are judging them for eating, you know, why are you eating that amount of food? You know, when the reality of it, like what you were saying is, you know, when, when you're carrying a, an excess amount of body fat, you know, your body is going to burn a lot of calories. So you, know, you need a lot more energy. Extremely high, you know, and it's, and it's almost like, you know, typical stereotype of, you know, this person should be eating a salad, you know, all the time. Every right, day. right. You know, when case and it shouldn't be the case. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that's sort of interesting about what you're saying, um, I, I do think people are pretty insensitive to someone in that situation, right? Um, and I can't even say that that I wouldn't be, you know? I mean, I think that, you know, one, um, it's not very common, you know, to see someone with a fair amount of fat to use um, in, in real life, you know? Um, but I don't think that the, the, the public is aware of the energy requirements when your body is that size. And I think the other thing is that from their perspective, like I'm saying, they could actually get away with, you know, let's say 2000 calories, right? Which would be very low for an athlete that size or a person that size, um, but the temptation is there because they can get away with it. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, I don't understand well, why my weight's not dropping. Well, part of why your you know, weight's not dropping is because you're kind of not really trying both sides. Like one of the things that I always convince people, you know, look, we got to try more variants where the scale is actually going up occasionally, you know. And that's one of the things, like as an example, um, the one day that he was upset about, um, within, I think it was two or three days, he was down 12 pounds, right? So the day that he ate a fair amount of food, you could highly argue, set up, you know, that 10 to 12 pound scenario, right? Um, and that's, I think, one of the things that sort of gets lost in that discussion. And I think that, I, honestly, I think most trainers that that work with a client like that don't understand that piece. And that's obviously something we try to work with, you know, through our certifications and stuff like this. So we do... We're going to get to kind of the question side of things. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that we have a fair amount of questions on Facebook. So Lindsay was asking, is there any rhyme or reason to low, medium, high days as far as order goes? Like, should we avoid multiple of the same kind of days in a row? And I think the answer is yes. And I think the answer is yes, even if you aren't working out. 
So if you're not familiar with Eat to Perform and the way that we set up plans for people, there's a high, medium, and low day. And what people tend to want to do is go, oh, I don't work out that much. Well, I got some news for you guys. Most of your calories are being set at moderately active already. And so you're not really pushing it too extreme in most cases. But that's not really how the high, medium, and low work best, right? What I was talking about in the previous scenario is similar to this scenario. And some of it is in relationship to, to calorie partitioning, right? What we, you know, our hard days are set up where you're going to have more carbohydrates and fats are going to be a little bit lower. Medium days are pretty much the same way where your fats are going to be relatively low, carbs are going to be high, and they're set up for workout days. But then you go, well, what if I can't work out for four days? I still think you should be cycling to a certain extent. Now, maybe you don't need to be cycling full on high, you know, but there's a lot of people that are getting more activity through low intensity work or something like this. But my point being is that if you take four to five days and all of those days end up being relatively low carb, right? Highly reliant on fat. You're just going to kind of flatline, right? What we want is some level of variance both ways. And this is where like the fear of the scale going up actually hurts people because it's that variance that really allows them it's not so much just the the you know weight loss over time or you know normalization as it relates to maintenance cal maintenance calories or whatever but when you have more control then you feel like you have the switch what i see people and it's sort of interesting because there's always talk about what's better, high fat or high carb. And the answer is it kind of depends. But when I look at most people struggling, it's not one or the other, right? They're in the middle. Almost always. Almost always when somebody's struggling or they're seeing some level of weight gain, their, um, their fats drift up when their carbs drift up. Here's another point. When you are low carb, low calorie, and that's what you've kind of done to lose a lot of weight. And let's say you get to 1100 calories. And now you just feeling the waters out, right? You're, you're going, you know what? I'd be willing to try 1,300. So now all of a sudden you add, you know, 30 grams of carbs and 10 grams of fat or whatever the, the calculation is. That ain't enough. It's not enough to really kind of get things moving. What happens over time is that once you get to a certain point, and you're not allowing some level of cycling to happen, you're going to be dealing with some level of water retention, okay? 
So just moving your carbs up 30 grams, more often than not, it's not going to do very much, right? You really need to move it up like 75 grams. And then, you know, if you were eating 70 grams of carbs, maybe we would move that down to 50 grams of carbs, right? But what you need to do is get past that, like there's almost like a, a wall you have to get over to allow the water release and we had a, a great example the other day I mean I mean a great example we had like 20 great examples um, where I've been doing our new trend sheets it's a product that we just introduced and I saw a lot of people in middle land right and so what I did was is I moved you know their carbohydrates or their fats you know it sort of depends i mean like we we talk about carbs a lot but there are times where fats do kind of the same thing as well right so you're really trying to get things moving one way or the other and one of the ways that i described it today in a video was for most people now there's always kind of an outlier scenario and there are people where it kind of works the exact opposite and fats end up being accelerated. But for the majority of people, if you looked at it and you thought of it as if it was a car, okay, carbohydrates are the accelerator, right? And the high days are really going to be the days that you're really pushing that work capacity and you're really pushing kind of that variance. Your weight is probably going to be a little bit higher on those days especially if maybe you might have been coming from a from a low carb background but honestly there's so many people that see a fair amount of water release once they start adding in carbs and then we sort of get them in in a groove there the medium day is like the throttle right so the throttle is basically going to allow you to kind of be weight stable maybe even lose a little weight on the days that you're working out right but and then the low carb days is going to be the break right so when you're trying to kind of find the groove you're going to have some days where you're going to accelerate you know and really get your exercise going those are going to be the days where your carbohydrates a little bit higher um you're going to have some throttle days where you know medium days where your workouts aren't going to be that extreme and then you're going to have kind of these days where you're not working out very much you might just be walking or whatever and those are great days to be re more reliant on fat and usually those are days where you're going to see you know a little bit of weight loss in that scenario problem is, is if you don't use some combination of the three or really the best combination of three the best way I described it was if you were going from Minneapolis to Kansas City, okay, there's two people, me and April, we're both going from Minneapolis to Kansas City, and April's using the accelerator more, and I'm on the brake and the throttle all the time, okay, I'm going to struggle. I'm not going to get to Kansas City as well as she is. This is the problem that the good majority of people have. Whatever phase you're in as it relates to your fat loss journey, the big issue comes down to, are you willing to get over that first hurdle? And then once you see that that first hurdle works, the second, third, fourth, fifth, that's the easy part, right? But it's that initial fear that just scares the hell out of people. 
Um, any thoughts on, on what I'm saying there, April? Because I'm sure there's a billion questions. Um, I agree with what you were saying. I, I just wanted to reference the, the middle road. Too, too many people in middle land. I, I was, as you were saying that, I was kind of thinking that a good analogy would be kind of purgatory, where you're just stuck in that. <laughs> you're just stuck in that no man's land, you know, just hanging out. Yeah, I mean, I and I think when, when I'm talking about no man's land, probably a good example would be someone that, you know, is eating 85 grams of fat and, you know, their carbs are 175. I had someone who had come from kind of a, a, a low-carb background and she had a day like that. And I said, honestly, I don't know which direction to push you in because, and I don't know which direction will necessarily work. So we're just going to, you know, you pick and, and, you know, her weight was up that day. So she picked low, of course, you know, but my suspicion would be almost the opposite of what she picked, right? Because in general, you know, if you're always snuggling up to less, it's sort of like being in an abusive relationship, you know, um, yeah, you know, it might not be comfortable being in that relationship, but it's the relationship, you know, that other relationship scares the hell out of you, but that's actually, you know, breaking up with the, the bad stuff and then getting with the good stuff actually makes a big difference. So we do have one question. So enough fooling around 42, weighed 275. I'm having a hell of a time trying to lose weight. What happened to the days when I was in my twenties? And it was so much easier. Well, I'll tell you what happened. In your 20s, you were much more um, free. And oftentimes, people don't think about what they eat near as much. They, they just are relatively active. They probably sleep, you know, fairly decent most of the time. And a lot of things are going in your direction. As we age... Of course, we've got kids and we're running around and we don't have time for the gym and we eat overly convenient foods and some bad stuff happened. And so in your situation, um, Nelson, um, I was in your situation. I was 230 pounds and got as low as 150 and I sit at 178 today. So what happened? What was the big change? Well, the big change was... I quit extremely dieting and I quit looking at food as inherently good or bad. And I think that that's where, that's the discussion we're having. That's a little bit of the discussion that we were trying to have with, with people with, with more fat to use, but also with the folks that are really just trying to kind of, you know, get that last 10 to 15 pounds. When you use food or you view food as a tool that will allow you to reach a goal, it's sort of different than viewing the food as inherently bad. You know, it's it's very difficult for probably, I, I don't know what it's like for you, April, but for me, when I'm around family, I mean, it would shock you guys how little my extended family is even aware of Eat to Perform, is even aware of what I talk about, right? 
Um, and I think that that's sort of normal. Um, I used to look like many of them. And they look at me and they go, oh my God, he worked his ass off to get to where he's at. And that is kind of true. I did work my ass off to kind of get to where I'm at. But I got to tell you something. I did a lot of stupid stuff to get to where I'm at. And where I'm at now, I know a lot of the stuff I did not need to do to see a result, right? I didn't have to do two-a-day workouts. I didn't have to, you know, um, have endless amounts of cardio and stuff like that. Those are all some of the mistakes that we help people walk through. But I was talking to Jill right before this April, and, and Jill mentioned that, you know, one of the things that she's really happy about is that when we have clients that are coming in with a situation in Nelson's, we are viewing them a little differently, you know, um, because if you're not familiar with Eat Perform, the good majority of people, we're trying to get them at some level, level of a baseline, and then we work off of that baseline for a deficit later on, you know. Um, people sort of end up being on the spectrum, right? So Nelson might be thinking to himself, well, you know, I'm clearly overeating because, you know, I have more fat than I would like on my body. And that may or may not be true, right? Almost certainly, you know, a person in that situation is overeating their metabolism, but that would seem to be more of a metabolism issue. And when we're talking about a metabolism issue, certainly work and eating food can be a factor there. Now, I don't want to give the impression that you can just eat yourself to, to eight-pack abs. But in some ways, there is a component there, right? Um, it's the idea of wanting to pay the price all at once, lose 45 pounds, rinse and repeat, and then you're obese for life, right? So, and, and, and definitely, if you don't know this, that was a big part of my journey for 10 years before, you know, Eat to Form, and the last 10 years has been my life within Eat to Form, and that's how April and I met. Um, though April was always relatively lean. Did you, did you ever have a moment? I mean, you were always pretty lean, right? It was just kind of relationship no, with food no, and trying was, different things. Actually, after I had my son, um, no, I was the biggest that I had ever been. Um, and then, and I've talked about it with some of my clients before. I didn't work out, didn't, you know, have much muscle mass. I had, you know, a lot of body fat on my frame, a lot more than I had ever had in my life. And, you know, I decided after I stopped nursing him that, you know, it's time to do something, you know, so I had never dieted in my life, really, and, you know, other than being in high school, and, you know, I'm going to starve myself, you know, because I've got, you know, prom or whatever, um, you know, but I, I dieted eating 17, 1800 calories, but I did nothing, I didn't walk, I didn't exercise, I didn't do anything, and that's when I got down to the 105 pounds, and then said, I need to start working out. And as soon as I started working out, I started gaining weight, you know, so that was kind of the big eye-opener. And then, of course, from there, I slipped into purgatory of I must be eating too much. I don't understand. Right. And then that's when I dropped lower, um, you know, so and it was just the, the yo-yo cycle of dieting for, you know, three years after. So one of the questions that Zach being asked is what are my thoughts on if it fits your macros? And I don't. 
dislike if it fits your macros. In fact, there's a lot of similarities between if it fits your macros and eat to perform. Um, mostly because you can be a vegetarian, you can eat paleo, you can eat flexible, whatever you would like to do. Ultimately, we can sort of help people in those scenarios. But here's what I think about if it fits your macros. I think most people doing if it fits your macros are on a diet all the t all the time, right? And certainly, they're in within the framework of if it fits your macros. There is the potential to go up and down, but most people that are going up using if it fits your macros, they're going from 2,000 to 2,200 because they're sort of scared shitless to, to gain weight. And, you know, what we've exposed people to and what we've shown thousands of people is that their calorie point can probably be a lot higher than they think it can be. And they can get better at exercise as a result, sort of similar to what April was saying, because I want to I want to make sure that everybody understands what she was saying at that point. What she was saying wasn't necessarily that that working out made her gain weight. What she was saying is that, you know, the muscle that you gain is a part of what leans you out in that process. So when we look at something like if it fits your macros, you're going to have to show me how your body wants to be at a surplus to gain muscle, right? But you're eating 1,700 calories, and at some point, you're going to stall there. Like I said, the mechanism is there, but people don't push it on the top end. And that's what I think is sort of like, um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of good things about it. I think that from a flexible eating standpoint, you know, we see more people that are interested in the flexible eating standpoint. And I know the big attraction is obviously donuts and Pop-Tarts and stuff like that. Um, I don't personally, you know, my version of flexible eating, you know, I tend to like things that are a little bit more useful for me. You know, so as an example, um, if I am looking for a starch to eat at night, I might have rice checks and protein, right? So to me, rice checks and protein would be a little bit better because it's a starchier source than something like Pop-Tarts, right? And then I know that there's the evil sugar people and stuff like that. Um, but the reality with sugar is that most of it in moderation is going to be pretty smart. But I think most people on... If it fits your macros, they're on a diet all the time, you know, and, you know, most people who eat to perform are not on a diet most of the time. And I think that from a mental standpoint makes a big difference. Um, any thoughts while I try to find another question? Um. I agree about the, if it fits your macros, the majority of people, like even in the, the Facebook groups, they're, everybody's on a diet. You know, it's, it's, it's fairly common. Um, in regards to the, the flexible dieting, you know, I, I think it is very appealing and I think it works for a lot of people. I think sometimes the line gets crossed when, you know, it kind of becomes of, you know, well, my whole diet is going to consist of, you know, Pop-Tarts and Oreos and, 
Yeah, cookies and protein drinks. This shit, this, this shit fits, you know. Right. It, it, and protein drinks. Yeah. You know, I made it perfectly in the puzzle for today, you know, and then they feel like crap later. You know, that's the biggest issue I see is, you know, kind of disregarding some of the, the quality foods because the other stuff just fits. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, is a, donut, a fresh hot donut going to taste better than a salad? Yeah, probably is, you know, but... You know, at the end of the day, I think sometimes it kind of goes to the extreme. Yeah, I do. I, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I, I don't think it's fair to like just say we're not saying that people that do if it fits your macros are eating nothing but donuts and pop tarts. But you know, the the emphasis on whole foods is sort of de-emphasized, and especially when you're looking at you know, a deficit cycle or something like that, that's always going to be a little bit more of a priority. So if you're eating 1,200 calories and you're trying to do it pretty super flexibly and you're not a little bit more focused on whole foods, I think you'll be hungry a lot, <laughs> right? Um, so that's something to keep in mind. So natural way to raise testosterone for men with low testosterone. Okay, so I had low testosterone and I did not choose to get hormone replacement, what I wanted to do was, you know, I, okay, so I had two things that basically were complications as it relates to my fitness journey, um, low testosterone and hypothyroidism. And both of them were related to dieting for the most part, at least that's what um, the test later on seemed to kind of emphasize. Um, but my testosterone level raised once my calories went up. Testosterone is also favorable once you have more fats. And what's interesting about what we teach, because kind of people go, okay, you know, they're always talking about carbs. And then there's the carb people that are like, oh, they're always talking about fats. Um, when you're eating an adequate amount of food, my average right now you know, is right at 3,000 calories. When you're eating 3,000 calories, like I said, you know, I'm 178 pounds, you know. When you're eating 3,000 calories, you're getting in enough fats that your testosterone levels are going to be fine. Certainly some level of resistance training is going to make a really big difference. I would say that, you know, the fact that I deadlift real close to 500 pounds has been a real helper as it relates to my testosterone levels. Testosterone levels lower, there was somebody that said um, metabolism decreases as you age, and that's undeniable, right? But what is really happening is, and I kind of jokingly always say that your body is trying to kill you at all moments, right? And that's sort of what happens with testosterone. So you have to fight that. You know, and resistance training helps that. An adequate amount of food helps that. Certainly, fats in abundance are going to be good. Then you make the argument for carbs as it relates to better and more effective work capacity. All those things are going to be really neat. It's kind of funny. I see that my stepsister um, may or may not still be watching it, but I have not seen my stepsister since I was 10 years old. Um, so it's kind of fun to see her on. 
Um, how do you stop sweet cravings? Okay, so that's an interesting one. Um, sweet cravings is one of these things that is, we don't really see that all that much with Eat to Perform. And one of the reasons why is when you're eating an adequate amount of food, most of the time, you're not craving foods all the time. Um, I've definitely heard some, some correlation related to protein. I just feel like if you believe that something is your nemesis that it, and, and you're trying to keep it away, you're going to want it all the time. But if you're eating an adequate amount of food, let's say that you're a female eating 22 to 2300 calories, you can fit in some things that you like, even some things that have sugar in it. You know, um, I had a share size bag of M&Ms today. Don't feel guilty about it and fairly certain that it will not cause the scale to either be dramatically up or down. I think these are the fears that people prey upon with you guys because you're constantly, you know, thinking that you have to be in diet mode when you don't, you know, um, certainly there's always some level of responsibility as it relates to this kind of stuff, but in general, um, most sugar cravings and stuff like that means that you're craving an energy source. A lot of people will also crave fats in that scenario. Why? Well, one, both sugar and fats are very energy dense sources of, of, of food and energy, right? And so when you look at, you're not going to crave chicken or kale in that situation because you want to get in as much food as you possibly can. Also, some level of preparation makes a big difference in these scenarios. So if you're just kind of haphazardly going through the day and it's four o'clock in the evening, what do you think you're going to crave in that scenario, right? You're going to crave the most potato chippy, hot doggy, you know, calorie everything, right? So that's the basic idea there. I just want to add about the, the sugar cravings. Um, I think you're spot on. Your your body's generally craving energy in general. Um, I think uh, I see a lot is where when people have sleep issues and they may be eating an adequate amount or, you know, not having issues with constantly being earned or anything like that, but their sleep cycles are off and the, the sugar cravings will generally be higher and they don't understand why. You know, but your your body is craving energy because of the lack of sleep because you're not properly rested or properly recovered. So I see that a lot. Yeah, that's a. I mean, the lack of sleep and um, cravings from lack of sleep is huge. You know, um, and it's also hard to feel particularly energetic when you're getting four hours sleep. So your calorie burn is ultimately lower, and it's just not a great great fit for um, fat loss in general. So someone was asking me about someone with a fair amount of fat to use. I'm not going to get super into it, but in general, um, most people with a good amount of fat to use have high energy requirements, like astronomical, right? Five, 6,000 calories but they also have a fair amount of fat that they can mobilize. So one of the, I'll just give you the basic, 
paradigm that, that I've used with a fair amount of success. Um, and I have to tell you, I'm going to, to give you this, but I need you to understand that your situation might be different. But in general, there's a groove here, right? And you just need to kind of figure out what the groove is. Usually, we're going to have some level of high day, right? I think that that helps. And for this discussion, I'm going to say high day is 4,500 calories. Um, once again, that seems ridiculous for someone with a fair amount of fat to use. We're talking about people with large, um, large energy requirements. And I feel like a lot of people's judgment on these people is not fair because their bodies require a fair amount of food and we want to make sure that from a mental standpoint we're addressing a little piece of that so let's just use that number then most of the time that person is probably going to be sitting somewhere in the neighborhood of about 3,000 calories right um, that's probably going to be the majority of their days Maybe the one day is kind of the barbecue on Saturday kind of day, right? And if you think to yourself that you can't eat 4,500 calories worth of barbecue, you're probably wrong. You know, if you do not count calories, you can get to 4,500 calories relatively easy going to the Cheesecake Factory. Just putting that out there. Um, then what we tend to do, um, and I've been able to get a lot of success with people this way, is we have kind of a lower um, number, I'd say probably anywhere from 2,000 to 2,500, sometimes as low as 2,000, and I've seen where, you know, those guys aren't really struggling at that number, right? Because, and, and you know, it's kind of funny because what makes that thing work doesn't, it doesn't continue to work if you don't have the other two numbers also working, right? That variance really makes a huge difference. And so we're probably going to have their carbs fairly low on that day. That's going to be a higher fat day, calories relatively low. And then we're looking at some level of work and some level of rest in that scenario. Here's the big thing, I think, with people with a fair amount of fat to use. I think that they want to take control of their life and they try to get too active too fast. And most of what they could do could be addressed by walking. And then as the weight starts to go down, now all of a sudden we can start talking about weightlifting, we can start talking about some level of treadmill work. Certainly, I've seen, you know, people have some, you know, good, good results using pools, stuff like that. That's real low impact type of stuff. I would encourage all of that kind of thing. Um, I get really concerned when I see bigger athletes uh, showing up and doing high intensity work and they're not really losing a, very much weight in those scenarios um, because one, their central nervous system doesn't even know what to do, right? Their central nervous system is not trained for that kind of activity yet. And, you know, I, I think that if you press the gas with these folks, 
too quickly, it's not going to allow them the level of progress that, you know, really, from that standpoint, food intervention probably makes the biggest difference. And the exercise component, if we're trying to exercise our way, you know, like I said, that's a good formula for destroying your metabolism. In my scenario, though, right, where you have a high day, you have a middle day, and you have a low day, and then we're focused on getting that athlete with some level of resistance training and stuff like that, now all of a sudden we're keeping that metabolism. And that's going to be super beneficial as we start to get into the 400 range or the 350 range. And now, you know, some, some good work capacity can come into play. But early on, doing virtually anything is, is helpful. I also, like I said, I'd be remiss to say, seek some level of help as it relates to the source of how it all started, right? And I think having a resource there is huge because, you know, one of the friends that I was talking to um, was talking about a, a death in the family and how that caused her to gain 50 pounds. The good majority of us, when we're stressed from a death in the family, we lose 10 to 15 pounds, right? So what caused that? it's helpful to have someone to be able to talk to in that scenario. I don't think that that's really <laughs> April and I's, you know, strong point. I mean, certainly, you know, we're, we're here for support, but there's, there's just things that are outside of what we do. And so I always encourage people to get help in that scenario. Let's see. I'm really struggling with my phone here, you guys, because, um, let's see, um, just eat your food, keep it clean, you'll never go wrong. I, I'm not a big, huge, clean guy. I, I believe in whole foods, but I believe that, you know, clean to you means clean to somebody, you know, there's so many different versions there. And I think that a lot of people, when we talk about clean eating, they just end up under eating a lot. And we're not huge fans of that either we we believe in we believe in living life on life's terms you know what i'm saying if it's date night you want to have a couple glasses of wine you know <laughs> other than me you know do it you know um let's see all right been trying out your system under eating recent usage thanks for all the info yep um, someone's asking about carb cycling. Yeah, that's a version of what we're talking about. Um, I, you know, I, I think that the problem that people have with, with carb cycling as an example is they don't really understand the mechanism of carb cycling. And so when you look at carb cycling and you go, okay, one day I had 50 grams of carbs and then the other day I had 125 grams of carbs. That's not carb cycling. Um, that's just, you know, some level of ketogenic dieting and some level of less ketogenic dieting. It was interesting. I was reading um, 
I was reading something about the size of the human brain and how humans prioritized brain activity over muscle function um, as primates, you know, and I, I'm not throwing this out here as science or anything like this, but the size of the human brain was prioritized. And what was interesting about it, I was I was researching it from the standpoint of how much energy is required for your brain tissue on a daily basis. And I think it would shock the shit out of people to find out that your brain takes up 20% of your fuel on most days. And I think one of the things that's interesting about ketogenic dieting, there's a lot of interest in ketogenic dieting, and I get it, you know. Um, for those three days, you just go to the bathroom a lot, and it seems like you lost a lot of weight. Um, and I'm not even denying that there might even be some potential for fat loss in that scenario. But most everyone that was a proponent for ketogenic dieting has moved to a moderate approach. If you don't know that, just Google it because that's what you'll see over and over again. But here's what is sort of interesting about it. When you think of ketogenic dieting, what happens? I mean, most of us have some experience with some level of low carbing. You start to get the headache, you feel fatigued, things of that nature, right? Your body wants food and the primary source is going to be glucose for your brain. If you're denying your body that energy, now it's got to work hard to get that, right? And so the process is called gluconeogenesis and that is going to be what most low-carb advocates are going to describe. Actually, what's interesting about about ketosis or or you know um, is that we're all in it a little bit at different times, right? So sometimes you'll wake up and you're not even particularly trying, and and you get that metallic taste in your mouth. You know, um, we all have it a little bit at times, but what? I'm sort of going into and, and we'll sort of shut it down right after this is if your body, if your brain required one fifth of your fuel a day, that to me says you should be eating an adequate amount of food. And if your brain likes glucose, you should prioritize some level of glucose, right? And if the goal is fat loss over time, it was interesting because what they were talking about was how muscular gorillas are and chimpanzees compared to human beings. And I think, you know, I mean, I'm still kind of doing the research and I'll talk to Brad and Mike about it and I'm sure we'll all geek out about it for a while. But it is sort of interesting how our body prioritizes energy as it relates to our brain. And so many of us don't allow an adequate energy supply, right? And then we get headaches throughout the day and stuff like this. And then once you start to realize some level of regulated sleep, some level of, of regulated meals, those all make huge differences. 
and these big gigantic extremes don't end up being so necessary anyway I'm gonna end on that note I'm sure everybody uh, let's see okay one 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 quick question um, from Francesca is it okay to have carbs with every meal in order to fit them in or is there a better way yes it is okay um, at times of course no, you know I would say one of the things that people get focused on is the timing aspect that you know the first book that we ever wrote really focused on um, some level of metabolic flexibility and that's still a big piece that's a lot of what we're talking about as it relates to partitioning of calories but when you're trying to get in 300 grams of carbohydrates as an example you're gonna really struggle to do that you know pre-workout and post-workout and I would say that if you look at the way that I eat you know I start the day virtually every day with oatmeal you know a lot of people think any carbs tend to be a lot of carbs you know oatmeal is like 30 grams of carbs like people say I feel so much better when I eat a sweet potato around my workout it's like you feel so much better having 30 grams of carbs around your workout. Imagine if you had 60 grams of carbs around your workout. I just think it's funny that people think that any carbs equals a fair amount of carbs. And what Francesca's saying, what I think is, is something that everyone needs to hear, is that as your energy requirements become higher, you do have to spread things out more. So that was a great question. Great question to end on. April is falling asleep. And so I appreciate everybody listening. And we will talk to you guys in the forums and the groups. And if you want to become an Eaton Forum member, that'd be awesome. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. You want to say goodbye, April? Yeah. Good right. night, everyone. All righty.